Welcome to Journey in the Word with Pastor Randy Mosher of Calvary Chapel of the Cumberland Valley. We are located in Hagerstown, Maryland. Please join us every weekday as our pastor takes us verse by verse through a book of the Bible. Today, we're finishing up in chapter 2 of Revelation, continuing with the letter to the Church of Thyatira, discussing the negative aspects of this church, tolerating Jezebel and her false teaching, idol worship, and sexual immorality. So if you're able, grab your Bibles and join us as we continue our journey in the Word. So that could very well have been the case, but but even it had nothing to do with the trade guilds, this woman was clearly being permitted to exert terrible spiritual influences over the people in this church, and she was leading people into all sorts of spiritually sinful and immoral practices. Like Jezebel, she was sinfully manipulating and domineering. Like Jezebel, she had assumed to herself a position of authority that she had no scriptural right to assume. And as was the case with Jezebel, the results were equally destructive to God's people. The most grievous aspect of all of this, and here's where I want to turn our focus a little bit, the most grievous aspect of all of this is that the leadership of this church, who were charged with the spiritual protection of the flock of God, were doing nothing to stop it. They were doing nothing to stop it. In fact, what they were doing instead was giving her the authority to do what she was doing and the covering for her as she did it. You see, that's the problem with this. There is... I believe an eerie similarity between what was happening in the church of Thyatira and and what is happening in a lot of circles in the church today and Christianity today. And even though the situation in Thyatira involved a woman, it doesn't just involve women in Christianity today, but men as well. It involves both. Men and women who are seeking and taking spiritual authority to themselves, that's not theirs to take. That's not theirs to take. And as was the case in Thyatira, the under shepherds of God's flock are letting them take it. They're letting them have it. They're they're letting them have it. They're even endorsing and promoting them in these roles that they've taken themselves. And in some cases, even though they know what they're doing is clearly wrong and against scripture. You know, in a spiritual sense, they're Jezebels, whether men or women, they're Jezebels as they use these roles that these spiritual leaders are allowing them to take. And, and, and they're leading people into all sorts of idolatrous and sinful practices as a result of it, you know. You know, some of you guys were here when we had um, a spokesman come in for the, uh, the Gideons. I don't know if you remember that. But I was sitting up front, and as often happens, if you weren't, you're going to enjoy this story because it is absolutely one of embarrassment, but it's a good point. But I, was, I just came in, and, and I have to tell you, my mind usually when I'm not teaching, it takes me, even like last week when Steve was teaching, it takes me a good 10, 15 minutes to settle in because I'm so used to being up here. You know, and, and, and I came in, and I checked the heat, and I came back up, and I sat down, and the guy's up here, and he's ready in his presentation, and my mind's racing ahead to when I was going to get up to share after he was done, because he only had like a 15-minute presentation. And this gentleman, and we talked before he came in, and I didn't sense anything that was an issue, anything we talked about, as he was talking about, I heard this line where he said, and now I've been married to this man for 15 years, and I st- sitting there, and it was like everything went into slow motion. What did he just say? And it, it was, those of you that were here, you know it was less than a second after he said it that I said, excuse me? He said, he stopped and he looked at me and he said, yes. He sa- I said, did you just say that you've been married to a man? You're married to a man? And he got the big Cheshire cat grin on his face. 
And he said, no, I was repeating the words of a woman from the story I was talking about who was married to a man. (laughs) At that point, I said, I'm going to climb into my hole. I'm going back to my office and I'll see you. You can have the service. And, (laughs) but it was amazing to me that morning, the number of people who had stopped me. And this is not a yay me, so please don't take this this way. This is what under shepherds should be doing. This is what leaders in churches should be doing today. Right? This is not about me. But I stood at that back door totally embarrassed. And I can't tell you the number of people who didn't come back to console me and said, yeah, it was pretty embarrassing. You ought to feel really embarrassed for not paying attention. I had some people say that, and that's fine. But then in the same breath said, but I want to thank you because at least I know I'm safe here. I'm safe. And said, I've been in too many churches where people are no longer standing up and saying, that's not okay. That's not scriptural. That's not what the Bible teaches because they're afraid of the ramifications or... Because they're afraid they're going to lose people. They want the crowds. They want the things that come with it. Now, look, we're we're dealing with a very dark chapter. And I I don't want in any way to make you think that I think that all churches out there except for us are doing wrong things. I don't. There There is the Church of Philadelphia today. But we're going to get to the Church of Philadelphia in Jesus' letters. And remember this. The Church of Philadelphia is a small group. And he makes that clear. Though you're of little strength, literally, what he'll mean by that is that you're not big in numbers. You know, in that day, and I believe the Church of Philadelphia, we're living in that time when the Church of Philadelphia exists in the midst of a bunch of other church systems that are playing out for us as laid out by these letters. But you know what? It, it is the responsibility of church leaders, not just the pastor, but of the elders, of the, of the deacons, of, of those that are serving on boards to maintain the integrity of the scriptures and to protect the sheep. But we're not doing that. And that's why we see the crazy stuff we're seeing going down in Christianity today. It's blowing all of our minds and going, wow. But here's the sad part to me is the more we're seeing it, the more I see people saying, well, I wonder if they could be right. And my church might be wrong because they're taking a stand on those things. Look, you know what? Read your Bibles. Read your Bibles and you'll know where truth is. So this church in Thyatira, man, it's not a stone's throw for us you know, to see that in our own society. I also find it interesting that here in Thyatira that this woman was teaching and seducing the congregation to commit sexual immorality and to participate in idol worship practices. It tells us that, but essentially this spiritual Jezebel was being permitted to teach in the church and she was validating her teaching through her self-appointed position as a prophetess. In other words, this is somebody who was validating the things that she said by walking around saying, thus saith the Lord. Wow. Wow. We hear that today, don't we? You know, we hear people saying, well, the Lord has shown me. Look, you know, I had a conversation with a guy when I was in Israel, another fellow pastor. This was an all-pastoral tour. We were over there. But they were not all Calvary Chapel guys. I was having a conversation with a guy who was an independent Baptist pastor. We really formed a bond. Neat guy out of New Jersey. And he and I were talking. He heard me a couple of times saying, the Lord led me to do this. The Lord had spoken to me, you know. As I was sharing something, he said, what do you mean by that exactly? He said, because I hear people throw that around to validate things. He said, I'm not saying anything you're saying is wrong, but what exactly do you mean by that? I said, well, first of all, it is a sense that the Lord is leading in a direction. I said, but you need to understand something. Before I utter a word like that, I'm looking at the scriptures. I'm looking to see if it violates the scriptures. You know, because you know what? There have been things that I felt the Lord is leading me to do. But when I looked at the scriptures, they're not there. It's not right. It's not where he would have taken us or taken me. You know, and I've had to say, that's not of the Lord. That's a different voice speaking. And when I say voice, I'm not talking about an audible voice speaking in my ears. It's here. It's inward. 
but it's validated against the scriptures. God never does anything. I told you guys, it's one of the reasons I ended up where I am today because I came out of churches that were practicing all kinds of goofy stuff in the name of the Lord and people were validating it with spiritual proclamations of things that the Lord was leading them to do. And, and in some churches, not in the ones that I was in, but they were even saying, well, they're okay to do that. You know, it's okay for them. To, people were acting like animals, barking, roaring, climbing around, being pasted to the floor like, you know, what was it, the Holy Spirit bartender thing, you know, and doing that. And my answer was, God never does anything outside the context of his word. Now, do I believe in supernatural things? Absolutely, but within the context of his word. Do I believe in the gifts of the Spirit? Yes, but within the context of his word, as he's proclaimed those things, you see. And when we get away from that, we're going to get on to wrong things. And this woman was doing that. She's using the name of the Lord, thus saith the Lord, to validate these wrong things. And, and she was teaching them wrong things. And what was she teaching them? She was teaching them a doctrine that combined paganism with Christianity. And the appeal for this was the combination of what? Sex. It was all about sex. That's what it came down to. A lot of people in Christianity take issue with the idea of, and, and I do want to get into this just for a moment this morning, but this is very different than when I first shared this years ago. But a lot of people in Christianity take issue with the idea of drawing distinctions between roles of men and women in the church. Here at Calvary Chapel, we hold to the literal interpretation of the scriptures. And, and, and as such, we honor the roles that God's established. We do that. We honor those roles. We don't hold this view because we believe that men are more superior, that men are more capable of teaching and leading than women. But we simply hold this view because we believe that God clearly prescribed these differing roles in the scriptures for his own good purposes and his own good reasons, much of which stems back to creation and to the events in the garden that, that are elaborated on in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 8 through 15. We're not going to look at that this morning. It's not the focus of the teaching. But there's a side note for you guys. But when you look at that, there's a picture that God says he's painting. Paul communicates this, that he's painting for the church and for the world through these roles that he's given for the church and even in the home. And we believe that when we ignore these guidelines or any other guidelines established in the scriptures, we do so to our own spiritual detriment. And what we end up doing is we open the door for a steady slide into wrong thinking and wrong behavior. I've noted with churches and denominations that have ignored or blurred the lines on these scriptural roles of men and women in the church today, it's not long until those same churches and denominations begin blurring lines on all sorts of other spiritual issues, in particular on moral issues. It's not long, and, and you can do your own research on this, but I'm just telling you, there are denominations today that were once solid, made decisions along the way where it, I believe in a lot of cases it began with the blurring of the line on some of these very things, on these roles, and over time, what you found is many of those churches today are endorsing homosexuality, they're endorsing sex outside of marriage, they're endorsing abortion, they're doing all that. I'm not saying all of them, but I'm saying there's an interesting connection between that. Is it because women were being permitted to hold positions in those churches that the scriptures would clearly indicate that they're not to hold, to teach. Now, that doesn't mean women can't teach. I'm talking about to divide doctrine before a congregation, to lead in the sense of dividing doctrine, to say this is what the Lord has laid in the scriptures for you as a congregation, to do those kinds of things. No, I don't think it's because women were being permitted to do that, but it was because these churches and denominations chose to disregard the guidance that God gave in the scriptures. Because they chose to ignore the guidance that God gave. And once you ignore God's guidance on this or any other issue, I don't care what it is. Once you begin to ignore the guidance that he gives, you set yourself up as the deter 
as the determiner of what is spiritually correct and what is spiritually acceptable. And fallen human beings will always see things they relate to and want as being spiritually correct and acceptable. You see, if you don't believe that, just go back and read the book of Kings. Or go back and read in particular the book of Judges. That's even darker yet. But what's the one statement you keep hearing made over and over in the book of Judges? They did what was right in their own heart. They did what seemed right in their own heart. They did what seemed right in their own heart. And in the process, they created this perverse form of spirituality. Here in Thyatira, in a lot of circles of Christianity, the same thing's happening. And it all has to do with, it, it has nothing, nothing to do with women. It has nothing to do with women. But everything to do with a willful choice to ignore what God has prescribed for his people in the scriptures. And when we ignore that guideline of scripture, truth always loses out. I'll save a teaching for roles when we come to that in Timothy. And, I, and maybe that's soon on our agenda when we're finished with Revelation in about 10 years. But sooner or later. But if you have questions and want to know where we stand, I'll gladly do it. But you know the truth is, it relatively is invisible to most of you guys here. I think it really is. You know what? Because our guys and our gals are functioning within those roles. You guys are learning as we go. And as we do that, it's not a matter of, you know, men are superior and, and male superiority. It's not about that. That's wrong. It's not about that. But again, it just comes back to these things that God said, you know what, I want you to do this because, you know, sometimes God just saying, I want you to do it because is enough. I had bosses in the army would say that. I always wanted a good rational answer. I need you to explain that to me. He says, here's the explanation because go do it. And that's what the Lord says to us. And our choice is, will we comply or won't we? And if we choose not to comply, well, then we open the door and we start walking down a road we won't want to go. So. Back to our, our context here. Look at verse 20 again. It says, Nevertheless, I have a few things against you because you allow that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess to teach and seduce my servants to commit sexual immorality and eat things sacrificed to idols. And I gave her time to repent of her sexual immorality and she did not repent. Lest any of you in any way think that this was just some poor misguided woman who had gotten herself off track spiritually, you need to think again. You need to think again. Jesus' strong words here tell us that that's not the case. She was aware of what she was doing because he's given her time to repent. It's clear that he was giving her time. I don't know how he did that. I don't know what he was communicating, how that word got there. But he's saying, I gave her time to stop doing what she's doing, and she chose not to stop. That's how God works when it comes to sinful behaviors on the part of human beings. He doesn't just slam people without cause. He doesn't just walk around with a stick waiting to whack us, but he always puts them on notice. He puts us on notice and tells us what you're doing is not right, and he gives time for repentance. I mean, think about the, the multitude of scriptures where this plays out. I mean, consider the people of Noah's day. You know, in Noah's day, we're told he didn't just get up one day. You know, God just didn't get up and said, you know, Noah... Go ahead and put that ark together real fast. I'm going to empower you to do that because I'm going to send a flood within a week. He doesn't do that. In fact, what it tells us, Scripture tells us that from the time he decided to send the flood, he waited 120 years before he sent it, giving, giving the people time to repent. It says in Genesis 6, 3, And the Lord said, My spirit shall not strive with man forever, for he is indeed flesh, yet his days shall be 120 years. He's saying, I'm giving him 120 years, Noah. And and what's the 120 years about? Time for repentance. Time for repentance. The Bible tells us that during the 120-year period, he had Noah preaching righteousness to them. 
Peter tells us that. 2 Peter chapter 2 and verse 5. And did not spare the ancient world, but saved Noah, one of eight people, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood on the world of the ungodly. Noah was preaching righteousness during that time. Even as he was building, he was preaching righteousness. God didn't just slam these people with judgment. He warned them and he gave them time to repent. Consider the Canaanites and all the other ites that God had the Israelites purged from the land. I mean, a lot of people think that God just sent into the Israelites and sent them in there to wipe these people out without giving them any chance, without giving them any opportunity, but that's not the case. Think about the conversation that God had with Abraham. He says this in Genesis 15, beginning in verse 13, Genesis 15, 13. Then he said to Abram, know certainly that your descendants will be strangers in a land that is not theirs and will serve them, that they will afflict them 400 years. Well, wait, you got God's people living in this land that's controlled by the ice for 400 years. They've had 400 years. And also the nation whom they serve, I will judge. Afterwards, they shall come out with great possessions. Now, as for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried at a good old age. But in the fourth generation, they shall return here. For the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. In other words, he's saying, they got 400 years, but I see what they're going to do with it. They're not going to repent. They're going to squander it. God's not unjust in this. I had this conversation with this Muslim merchant in Jerusalem, and, and it's the one I was referring to earlier, and, and he just was talking about, you know, he was just appalled by the entire account uh, of Joshua going into Jericho and, and wiping out the people, and why, what, 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 that can't be God. God would never do that. And I wanted to talk to him about some things, too, you know, because it seems that their God does sometimes. But as we were talking about this, I just kept coming back and saying, but they had time. This wasn't an instantaneous decision. They had time. You have time. I've had time. God gives time. He doesn't just send judgment. This was not undeserved. There was time given for repentance, but they chose not to repent. Think about Nineveh. You know, you know Nineveh, right? That's the one that God descends to send Jonah into. You know, Nineveh was part of Assyria. The Assyrians, the reason Jonah didn't want to go wasn't because he was afraid to talk. He was afraid that God would cause them to repent and in their repentance that he he'd save them he wouldn't judge them the assyrians were hated by the jews they were hated because they were the most evil people on the face of the planet the things they did to the people they captured weren't heard of in the day they were brutal he didn't want to see them saved but here's what it tells us in jonah chapter 3 verses 9 and 10 who can tell if god will turn and relent and turn away from his fierce anger so that we may not perish Then God saw their works that they turned from their evil way and God relented from the disaster that he had said he would bring upon them and he did not do it. Why did God relent? Because they did exactly what Jonah feared. They repented. They repented. And God God relented from sending judgment on them. He gave them time. He sent a prophet. He sent someone to them to warn them so that they would repent. I think of Jonah's words in the beginning, you know, afraid who can tell if God will turn and relent and turn away from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. And we live in a time where I was joking about the politics, but we live in a time where we hate the opposition. We hate those that don't agree with us. I read an article the other day that said that America is that we're actually having a civil war. We're just not using guns yet. But we're already at each other. We, we look at our neighbors. We look at people in Congress. We look at people who, quite frankly, they represent things that are offensive to us. But, but we're not just offended by what they're saying. We hate them for what they're saying. 
And I fear that we as God's people would get to a place where we'd begin looking at people and saying, you know what? I don't want to see them saved. I want to see them judged. I want to see them get God's wrath because of all that they've done. You know what? I'm, I'm just the opposite of that. Yeah, I'm incensed by all this stuff. I'm bothered by all this stuff. I'm angry about some of this. I'm angry over this abortion thing that's going on right now. It ain't a thing. It's a, it's a, it's a vile, vile move within our country. But you know what? Those people and those politicians that are promoting this, those people in the different organizations that are behind it, God wants to save them. God wants to save them. He wants them to repent. I mean, think about this. I mean, even with his people, even with his people, think about Israel. I mean, even though Israel had failed the Lord terribly and brought judgment upon themselves, and they brought it upon themselves, God was slow to execute it because he gave them time to reconsider their ways and to repent. Even after they rejected salvation through Jesus, it was still another 37 years before they faced his judgment in 70 AD with the city and the country collapsing. Why? Because he was giving them time to repent. That's God's pattern, and he's still following it today. He hasn't changed, just as Peter says. But beloved, he says in 2 Peter 3.8, 2 Peter 3.8, but beloved, do not forget this one thing, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. Hey, don't get all focused up. Don't worry. There's judgment and righteousness going to be established. To God, you know, it seems like a long time to you, but you know what? God is, is God, God, today is like a thousand years to God. A thousand years like a day. He says in verse 9, The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. God could have brought his final judgment upon the world, the judgment that he promises that he will one day bring, and the righteousness that he will one day establish on the back end of that. When the world at large rejected Jesus, he's saying, hey, it's going to come. But yeah, for 2,000 years, think about this, for 2,000 years... God has stayed his hand of judgment. He could have did it right away, but he didn't. For 2,000 years now have gone by, and he stayed his hand of judgment. Why is that? Because he's giving time to repent. That's how God works. And we see it here in his dealings with this church and with this corrupt, even this corrupt woman Jezebel in their midst. But, but here with this woman, as is the case in our world today, Jesus tells us and tells her that time is running out. Time's running out. She'd been given warnings. She'd been put on notice. She'd been given ample time to repent, but her only response was to reject Jesus' challenge to her and to thumb her nose at God. And now what she's doing, she's doing with full knowledge and willful intent, and that Jesus will not tolerate for very long. It is, uh, you know, it is to, to willfully thumb your nose at God. I, I believe it's, it's you know, when he's showing mercy and grace like this, to willfully thumb your nose at God is, is the worst condition of sin that there is. It's the worst condition. Sin is sin. You know, I hear that all the time. Sin is sin. It's true. Sin is sin. But willful in, in God's face kind of sin, the I don't care what he wants. I'm going to do what I want kind of sin is the worst of all. It's the worst because it's not the result of a, a mistake or of ignorance, but it's the result of a willful choice and willful rebellion. And, you know, God states clearly in 1 Samuel chapter 15 and verse 23 that rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. <laughs> you know, it's, it's as offensive to him as that. There is nothing worse to God than those who, like Jezebel, willfully and knowingly set themselves up against him by choice and then relish dragging others into their sin with them. You see, and that's what's happening in Thyatira. 
And, and, and that's what's happening in many cases today in churches and circles of Christianity today. I pray with all my heart that the church will repent, that we as believers, beginning with us, will repent. Because even though we might be saved, God's judgment, it tells us in the scriptures, begins where? With us. Ours is not a judgment of salvation. That's taken care of. But at the same time, there's still a day of standing before him and accountability for things, you know? We need to be very careful. I pray that we'd heed Paul's admonition to us as the people of God. Here's what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 11, 31 and 32. For if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened by the Lord that we may not be condemned with the world. Yeah, he'll judge in a chastening way to keep us from ourselves, from keeping us from the harm. But wouldn't it be better? That's what he's saying. Wouldn't it be better to judge ourselves instead? It is God's love for us that compels him to judge and to chasten us. But how much better it would be if we would not put him in a position to have to love us in that way. Not putting him in the position to do it. So here, Jesus, in this seemingly harsh statement that he's making about Jezebel, is really showing great love for her, for this church, by warning the people as to where their sinful behavior is about to lead them. And where is it leading? We'll come back next week and we'll take a look at it, okay? Thank you for joining us for another episode of Journey in the Word, a verse-by-verse teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel of the Cumberland Valley. If you would like to listen to more teachings or find out more information about us, go to www.journeyintheword.org. That's www.journeyintheword.org. Thanks again for listening. We hope you'll tune in for our next episode as we continue our Journey in the Word.